It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the show tonight... I'm at Bloom 2022 in Phoenix Park, where I talk to Limerick's Sarah O'Sullivan from SOS Cookies and Kathy Curran from the National Dairy Council, who won an award for their Sustainable Dairy Farm Show Garden. Devere and Nicola Crowley from Mezzi in Tremor County, Waterford, tell us about their new cookbook. And Ruben Lopez Polido, director of the Spanish Tourism Office in Dublin, has news about an exciting gastronomic experience for you to enjoy at Taste of Dublin, which starts this Thursday, the 16th of June, and runs until Sunday, the 19th of June. But before we hear from our guests this evening, may I take this opportunity to remind you, as always, about how you can make contact with me here at The Best Possible Taste. You can drop me an email, Sharon at SharonNoonan.com, or you could tweet me at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation, and I'm also on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So a couple of weeks ago, on the Thursday before the June bank holiday weekend, I took a trip to Dublin to visit Bourbeas Bloom. Now in its 16th year, it has become one of Ireland's largest showcases, celebrating the best of Irish horticulture, food and drink. Originally created to promote plants, garden design, horticulture and gardening, Bourbeas role in promoting food and drink has allowed Bloom to develop further. The show has grown into something which not only makes for a great day out, but also offers a huge range of practical information on everything from gardening to growing fruit and vegetables, cooking and culture. When I was there, I met Limerick entrepreneur Sarah O'Sullivan from SOS Cookies and Cathy Curran from the National Dairy Council at the Sustainable Dairy Farm Show Garden. Let's have a listen. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Sarah, would you believe you're the only Limerick person here that's selling your wares today? Uh, no, I'm delighted, delighted to be up here. Flying the flag yeah, exactly, for Limerick. Yeah, exactly. So tell us about SOS Cookies, because you're quite a new company. You're a, you're a COVID company. Oh, absolutely, yes. So uh, I started the company in late December 2019. Um, I was working for a company over in England at the time, working from home. Um, obviously, due to the pandemic, was kind of pushed onto a three-day week. And I have an absolute love for chocolate. All things cookies have been obsessed with them from a really young age. And I decided to give them to my younger brother who's in UL um, to give out to his friends started an Instagram page SOS Cookies didn't really think too much about it SOS obviously stands for my name and it took off after three weeks handed in my notice to my three day a week job and just it grew exponentially took two girls on then a couple of weeks after and and from I haven't looked back since and I have to say now I have a, a 10 year old and a 9 year old so your cookies are very well known in our house thanks to the market at Newcastle yes. in Newcastle West and then also in Ballybunion I've seen you stocked down yep. Ballybunion so how did you go about getting into places uh, so that happened very quickly I was very lucky I have a friend Timmy Crow from Six Mile Bridge who had a uh, who had a horse box at the time and he just asked me would I be willing to give him a couple of cookies that he'd love to sell them with his coffee and from then it just 
word got around, you know, maybe other businesses saw that this one coffee um, box was getting them and then so on. It just built and grew from then. And quickly, I'd say after a couple of weeks, I had maybe 20, 25, 30 stockists. And it was just word of mouth and social media. Social media was the catalyst for it all. Um, once we got into one horse box, it just grew from there. Yeah, there's a number of horse boxes now. And I think yeah. you are in the horse box in Broadford as well. I am well. indeed, yeah. yeah they're they're brilliant. There as yeah, well. yeah. well, I have to say, they are a bit of a meal now, these cookies. They're fairly substantial. Tell us about them, the ingredients and the different varieties. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we use, obviously, Irish butter, um, obviously our flour, and we use Belgian chocolate as well. But I suppose what kind of... I say maybe make our cookies a little bit more special is that we use like kinder chocolate milky bar Nutella so we kind of use all the favourite chocolates so I didn't really want to do like a regular chocolate chip I kind of wanted it to be a little bit more a little bit extra like indulgence um, so yeah we, we source all of our um, ingredients through local suppliers like Limerick Fruit and Veg um, uh, Richardson's Foods uh, like suppliers like that so we've been very lucky with all of our suppliers and things like that but try and use all of our, our local companies as well and tell me about the job that you were doing before did it bring knowledge and expertise that you're able to use in the new business oh absolutely so I actually did my masters with board BS so I did food innovation and, and I worked for Silver Hill Farm a duck company up in Monaghan for two years and I actually exhibited here for two years in a row with Silver Hill at the time I was just happy to be here but little did I know that I'd actually be here myself so I learned so much through them and then I went on to work as a food and drink trends analyst for WGSN which was the company in, in England that I was talking about um, so that was absolutely fantastic as well uh, I suppose I learned so much in terms of being able to research um, from them uh, I didn't necessarily know that maybe cookies were going to be a trend or where the chocolate was going because I suppose when I worked in that job we were looking at maybe five ten years ahead um, but I was just so grateful to be immersed in the food world for the last maybe two and a half years before before I started this myself and having been at Bloom then you know how long the days are and how hard work it is yeah I had a tough tip before is that you bring different shoes for every day okay. <laughs> so you don't get too tired uh, but yeah we're hoping now that this will be great exposure for us um, we'd like to get our cookies maybe out further afield we'd love to maybe stock some more coffee um, boxes maybe some more coffee shops up the country because we really want to keep the business growing like we have a team of two uh, two others uh, full-time working with me and two others part-time but I'd love to create more jobs um, at locally and, and try and, and grow SOS as, as big as I could and are you up in Dublin staying or are you traveling back no, and forth? I am I am staying so I'm very lucky I have family and friends who are absolutely amazing that will come up with cookies um, so we'll make sure that we have fresh stock all the time so Brilliant. it's just finding the balancing game now of not having too many and not having too little and in terms of your vision for the business where do you hope to see it go in I'd love to have um, plenty of more stockists I, I think it's a great way of getting our, our cookies out there without having to maybe set up like a full-on shop I'd love to do maybe some pop-ups and um, maybe go to like shopping centres and things like that have a little pop-up and who knows maybe we'll have actually our own SOS shop one day you're a woman with a plan yeah well come your best of luck um, at Bloom here today you better tell everybody about those social media platforms yes definitely so you can find us on instagram sos cookies with two s's at the end we're also on tiktok facebook with the same um, handle we have an online shop where we ship nationwide so soscookies.ie and you'll see all of our um, cookies we also do cookie cakes for collection in limerick um, and that's where you'll find us brilliant well listen have a great show sarah amazing thank you
My name is Cathy Curran. I'm from the National Dairy Council. Cathy, we're here at Bloom 2022 and you have a fabulous garden. Tell us all about it. Thanks a million, Sharon. We're really excited to be um, here at Bloom. It's our first year at the event. Um, like many other companies, we were meant to be here in 2020 with a cheese garden. But of course, in March, it was cancelled and we all know the rest of the story. So we're really, really excited to be here. We have a sustainable dairy farm garden at the event this year, which has been specially designed by Sean Russell, who is a landscape garden designer from Cork. And Sean has recreated really a traditional dairy farm that you would see anywhere in rural Ireland today. You could be sitting in the middle of the garden here today and be brought back 100 years, 200 years back to sort of where farming started in Ireland. And really the methods, I suppose, haven't changed. The technology has. So, you know, when you look at sort of the native planting and the grassland management and all the great sustainable practices that Irish dairy farmers do, that's all in the garden here today. So we've deliberately tried to, I suppose, create and tell a story around is sustainable dairy production because it is so so topical now and the way in which food is produced is more important than ever we all know that and we all need to be consciously aware of the food that we're buying and how it's produced so we've used a lot of different um, aspects throughout the garden for example biodiversity is one of the areas that farmers are using to improve um, their sustainability and lower their emissions so attracting bees and natural habitats and insects etc we have grass wards which is a type of grass used um, in, in uh, lowering emissions. I came from Chagask, the agricultural science group, and we've also used white clover. So white clover is known to retain nitrogen, which is also incredibly important within um, the environmental piece. Um, and then we have an amazing, you can probably, you can't miss it really, but there's a, a cow sculpture, a stunning cow sculpture that's been done by a lady called Emma Jane Rushworth from Wicklow, and it's made, by, made from recycled bronze mesh. And she's kind of bending down into a river where she's drinking and she has got eyelashes and big eyes. So every detail is literally being included in the sculpture and it's getting a lot of attention at the event here today. Um, and then we've used a lot of clever props. So I suppose keeping with the sustainability angle, everything is salvaged or recycled within the garden. So we've got like an old original farm gate that the gardener got from an old farm. There's an old farm kitchen door that came from his own family farm in, in Cork. So the designer grew up on a, a dairy farm himself, which just, you can just Get, he just gets it, he understands it um, and then there's an old kind of farmhouse table with old farm windows and old pictures including one of his late mother kind of stuck behind the, the, the farm kitchen window so it's just very evocative, it just brings you back in time it's just very very special and um, I'm delighted to say that he won gold this morning at Bloom um, for, for the garden so we're, we're really really excited within the National Dairy Council um, that he's done so well and we couldn't be prouder And why was it important for you in your role with the National Dairy Council to come here to be at Bloom and to have a garden? Yeah, really good question Sharon. I think why it's important is because I think still in the modern age and particularly I'm, I'm a dub through and through and a city girl, I think there's a large urban-rural divide no more than other countries but particularly in Ireland I think that there's that kind of rural piece that goes on and then there's Dublin, there's the capital and I think people, sort of particularly young people coming up don't necessarily know where their food comes from, they don't understand farming they don't know uh, that the carton just doesn't land on the, <laughs> on the fridge in the supermarket that it actually takes an entire process to get it there and I think there's a job to be done here today with 120,000 people that'll visit Bloom over the five days from a largely urban cohort that we can try and tell that farming story that farming production story that's been going on in Ireland for thousands of years and that dairy heritage story so, so that's really why we're here today and I think if, if people go away from here understanding even a little bit more about dairy farming and the sustainability piece 
we've done our job. And it's not just about having the garden here, you're using it then as a stage for yes. some talks. Yes, we are, because I think, you know, apart from anything else, you have the beautiful gardens, but it's also an entertainment piece. People want to be here to be entertained, to be informed, to, you know, to enjoy the whole experience. So we have a series of talks happening within the garden over the few days. So we started off this morning with Catherine Thomas from RTE, who's our new EU Sustainable Milk Ambassador, and she was interviewing a number of dietitians about sustainable diets, which again is how we can all be conscious of the food that we're eating, travel miles, all that kind of stuff, which was really, really interesting. We got great crowd interest. And then tomorrow we have um, a panel talk on sustainable dairy production, very much more from the agri-farming side. And we have Irish Farmers Journal interviewing two farmers and a lady called Deirdre Hennessy from Chagask, who is an expert in grassland management and white clover usage. So that'll be really, again, informative tomorrow, be it that it's a very consumer audience, we don't want to get too technical. And then on Saturday we have a really interesting talk for the foodies, I suppose, and it's all around diet and food and where are we going? Like, where, What's the future food? Are we going to be eating insects in another 20 years? Uh, you know, where is our food going to come come from and what's going to change and, and the challenges that we face in the future? So that's going to be um, an interview with Suzanne Campbell, who's a reporter with RTE, and she'll be talking to Dee Laffin, who's a food uh, journalist, and also um, one of our farm ambassadors, Nicole Cohan, and Connor Spacey from Food Space, which is a sustainable food project in Dublin. So yeah, there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening, Sharon, over the few days. I'm just people want to come along um, it'll be a really great event so if anyone else wants any more information on the National Dairy Council and our upcoming campaigns and projects please visit www.ndc.ie well listen congratulations on the award this Thank morning you. enjoy the rest of today and the weekend it feels like it's going to be a complete scorcher oh my god completely it's really <laughs> so warm get here the, get the sun cream ready that's it thanks a million Sharon good to talk to you you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, I was at Board Bays Bloom, one of Ireland's largest showcases celebrating the best of Irish horticulture, food and drink. And when I was there, I spoke to Limerick entrepreneur Sarah O'Sullivan from SOS Cookies and Cathy Curran from the National Dairy Council at the Sustainable Dairy Farm Show Garden, which was an award-winning show garden. If you're just tuning in now and you missed that, you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Now, my next guests on tonight's Best Possible Taste shared their story on the programme last year. Nicola and Devere own Mezzi, a food business in Tremor County, Waterford. And last week, they launched their first cookbook and I spoke to them earlier today to find out more. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Nicola and Devere, you're very welcome to the best possible taste and I must congratulate you because last week you launched your first ever cookbook. Congratulations. Thanks very much. Very delighted. Now before we talk about the cookbook in detail, we must remind the listeners about your story. You have been on the programme before but it's a while back. So you're both based over in Tremor but you went through a bit of a journey before you landed there. So tell us just briefly Nicola, about your story, your and Devere's love story that led on to a business story. Well, uh, if, we're, if we're talking about the love story, we have to go way back. 
Um, I think we always forget. We always forget how many years, but it's 16 years ago. Uh, we met in New Zealand and we were both backpacking and I ended up in a car with him and two other guys. Um, very sensible. Very sensible. Um, and we uh, we travelled around New Zealand um, and we spent a couple of weeks together. Um, and that was it. Um, I was a few months later moving over to Israel to, to live with Tavir. Um, and we spent eight years um, in Israel together. Um, had two kids um, and then decided to move to Ireland to, to try it out in Ireland. Um, then when we got, when we knew when we were leaving Israel, we, we both had office jobs, um, something completely different to what we're doing now. But we always had this idea of working with food. Um, so we started small. We started in farmers markets and food festivals, making Middle Eastern food, making hummus, salads, and then falafel. Um, and we saw that people were, were really positive about our food um, and, you know, they wanted more. And then we wanted to do more. We wanted a space where we could um, host events and, and do cookery demos. Um, so then three years ago, we opened um, Mezzi in Tremor. So it's actually a double congratulations because you're celebrating three years since you opened the business as well as the cookbook. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, uh, it's. I think after COVID and everything, it's it's a big celebration for us, <laughs> uh, being able to see people face to face, having our third birthday, the first one that uh, we can actually celebrate with people, um, and launching our cookbook. So so it's a big one for us. Whenever you came back to Ireland, were you one of the first to actually open a business that had Middle Eastern inspired cuisine? Um, one of the first, I would say. The funny thing was, there was another Israeli. When we moved here, there was another Israeli making hummus around. He is now completely moved on, and he's a gourmet chef in uh, in in, uh, in in big restaurants. But yeah, we were the only one to take it a little, a few, a few steps forward. Definitely. Yeah. yeah there's 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 definitely Middle Eastern restaurants and cafes around Ireland and um, I think that we took it slightly differently with we wanted to open a deli and we wanted to, to have a shop um, an online an online shop as well um, so yeah it's definitely something a little bit different to what's out there um, not one of the first but um, I think potentially one of the first Middle Eastern cookbooks yeah, well, that, that I, you know, is written by somebody from the Middle East. <laughs> we were definitely the first to, to, to focus slowly on Middle Eastern and the Middle Eastern flavors in what we do. Yeah, and that's definitely, yes. Where there, there, used to, there were people who were making just falafel maybe or just hummus and such, but we wanted also a place that we can find all the ingredients that we were looking and couldn't find anywhere. Yeah. So that was one of the. And I know you told me in the previous interview that you're very passionate about using locally sourced in-season ingredients. Yeah. Yeah, I guess for me it started when one day I ordered from my uh, my vegetable supplier um, um, uh, carrots, and I got this 10 kg bag of carrots, and it was it was all written from Israel, packed in Israel, made in Israel, and as 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 happy as I was to see. Carrots coming all the way from Israel, I thought that's unnecessary. That is really not necessary. There's no point for that. 
And we've, we really, there's amazing producers here. We have Grandstown Tomatoes just around us, Tom Clary, who grows the most amazing carrots. And when you're using locally produced or grown uh, vegetables, whatever it is, you, you can see the quality. You can taste the quality. You can, you can, it's, it's very obvious the difference. Yeah, and we've, you know, we've built our menu as well um, in the deli. One of our most popular um, dishes that people get in the deli, they have it either sitting down to eat or they could bring it for takeaway to the beach, is our menu with falafel. So that has, um, you know, three or four different salads in it. Um, and those salads change weekly depending on what vegetables are available. Um, so one week it could be, you know, a tomato salad with Grandstown tomatoes. Another week it's, um, you know, veg, special veg that Tom Cleary has. Um, for, for me, it was uh, the start a little bit annoying, but I have to say that I grew better as a, as a cook because of that, because I was, I was compelled to just use what we have in season. And that means I have to talk to my uh, growers or my vegetable suppliers to understand what they have and work with that. And that and now we're in a completely different place to when we started doing that, which I'm very happy with. And in terms then of the recipes that you have in the cookbook, to what extent did that actually influence what you put in there? Oh, it, it definitely did. Um, you know, we we chose the salads that we we make in the deli are the ones that are in in the cookbook, the ones that are popular. So you know. Salads that we always have all the time in the deli are our cabbage salad and our carrot salad. And the reason for that being, not only are they, you know, very tasty and very popular, and um, they also are vegetables that are, for most parts of the year, except a bit when there's a hungry gap, are available in Ireland. Um, so that's what we put in the in the book. Um, as well as that, we put in our um, our tomato salad that we talked about, um, and we mentioned Grandstown tomatoes. And we also have a recipe for um, a purple potato salad, and that's using Val McKenney farm potatoes, which we absolutely adore. And in addition to salads, there's also some slow-cooked meat recipes there. The falafel is in there, syrup-drenched yeah. desserts, which sound absolutely mouth-watering. Tell us a <laughs> bit more about the, the, the sections in the cookbook. Um, yeah, so we have... Um, like because we make a lot of salads and dips, meze, the meaning of meze is, um, you know, the, the dishes at the start of a meal that's served um, in, in the Middle East. So that's your salads and your dips and your pickles and it comes with bread. So there's a big focus on that in the book, um, a section of that. Um, but also, you know, there's foods that we've made throughout the year for dinners, um, takeaway dinners during COVID or face-to-face -face ones um, when we could. Um, so those those are things like you know slow cooked cold lamb and spiced with baharat, um, or one of my daughter's favourites is uh, kube, which is like semolina dumplings in a in a beetroot soup. Um, so we have those, and then like the desserts that we make, a lot of Middle Eastern desserts have this you know lovely um, flavoured uh, syrup on them. So you know baklava um, is in there, of course. Um, and these are things that we serve in the deli the whole time. Fantastic. How many recipes in total? Um, there's over 80 recipes there. Um, uh, that was hard. Because <laughs> we, have, we have over 150 recipes. Uh, I would say most of them are ours. 
but it was hard to choose. But it, this, the, the, the easiest way was eventually to choose what the customers loved. Whatever was the best sellers or whatever people most loved, that was chosen and gone, gone into the book. And in terms of the skills level that somebody might need to make the recipes, how ambitious do you have to be in the kitchen? Not at all. <laughs> if you, if I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> well, it sounds like you have enough for a second cookbook, but I often wonder, is it a bit like childbirth? You forget how challenging and difficult it is until you're in the middle of it again. Because there is a lot of work goes on behind the scenes when it comes to writing a cookbook. Tell me a bit about the process that you followed. Yeah, so it, it was, it was a, a lengthy process and, and it took longer than we thought. And, we kind of we're we've been playing around with this for a couple of years and um and uh writing bits and pieces um what we started with was kind of gathering the recipes and, and making sure they were written down um the ones that were being used in, in the kitchen um you know a lot of those were in shorthand so <laughs> they had to be lengthened a bit um and uh then there's you know there's a lot of back and forth with testing recipes um changing them as well like we make kilos of cabbage salad um so you kind of have to go okay how like what quantities do you need for one head of cabbage or a half a head of cabbage rather than you know 10 or something like that that we would make so there's there's a lot of that um that back and forth um and then you know it, it takes a long time getting the story you know right um and then even like last episode Ember is when we took the photos for for the cookbook, um, which was great because then we were locked into certain recipes and I couldn't change my mind on them. <laughs> um, so the 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 photos that's a four day process um, just to take the photos. Um, then there's the editing. Exhausting four days. Yeah, it was, it was really end. exhausting. And did um, you do the photography yourself? No, so it's a mixture actually. So the bulk of the food photography was taken by um, Monica Cox, and she's based in um, Cork. Um, Pepperazzi is the name of her business. Um, so she she took the bulk over those four days. She took those, but we um, we've been working with um, a local photographer, um, Matthew Riley, and he's taken a lot of our photos throughout the years. Um, so, you know, we've gorgeous photos of when we, we did um, pop-up events and um, dinners. So we used a lot of those in the book as well. Um, and then I, I, I took a few photos and kind of staff. So I tried to include kind of personal photos. Um, I think it's important, you know, our cookbook is very, it's very homemade. It's, you know, we're self-publishing. Um, it, it's a lot about us and our stories. Um, and I find that a lot of cookbooks that are are um, put out there at the moment, um, you don't get that personal side of things. So I wanted to make sure that that was part of the book. Fantastic. Well, listen, for anybody that maybe wants to get their hands on the cookbook, are you going to be out and about this summer doing events or is the best place to find you in Tremor? Uh, a bit of both, I think. So we'll be a lot of the time in Tremor. Um, so we're open Tuesday to Saturday. So you can pick up a book there. Um, you can also pick up a book from our website. You can order it online on Um And we're definitely um, going to be getting out there and visiting some, some of the shops that our book is stocked in. Um, and we'll be doing some demos around the country as well. So we'll have all of that information up on our on our website and our um, social media when we're doing events. 
Thanks a million for talking to me all about it today and continued success. Thanks a million. Thanks for having us. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, Nicola and Devere from Mezzi in Tremor, County Waterford, shared details about their new cookbook. And earlier on in the programme, I was at Board Bay's Bloom, one of Ireland's largest showcases celebrating the best of Irish horticulture, food and drink, talking to Limerick entrepreneur Sarah O'Sullivan from SOS Cookies and Cathy Curran from the National Dairy Council, who won an award for their sustainable dairy farm show garden. If you're just tuning in now and you've missed all of that, you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Now, this Thursday sees the return of Taste of Dublin, which takes place in Ivy Gardens in the capital and runs until Sunday. The event is a foodie haven and one of the attractions this year is Tasting Spain, a unique Spanish gastronomic experience where visitors will have the opportunity to sample a wide variety of high quality products from Spain, ranging from wines to olive oils, cheese and pastries. I have the pleasure of talking to Ruben Lopez Polito, director of the Spanish Tourism Office in Dublin, to find out more. Bon appetit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Ruben, lovely to meet you here on The Best Possible Taste. You're part of the Spanish Tourism Office, and this week we're going to find you at Taste of Dublin. Exactly. We have partnered this time with Taste in Spain, which is actually one of our main providers of culinary, gastronomy, uh, wine experiences. And we will be in Taste of Dublin this week on Thursday, starting on Thursday. And of course, Spain would be very well known for its fabulous food and drink, the cava, the sherry, the tapas, the pinchos, the paella, I could go on and on. Are there any particular regions in the country that food lovers tend to go to because that's where those amazing gastronomy experiences are? Indeed, indeed. There are several regions that Irish people know very well. For example, there will be Gran Canaria or Lanzarote or Fuerteventura. But there are three regions as well that I think the Irish, the Irish public, the Irish people, they don't know so well. They are Zaragoza, Valladolid, and Cambrils. So Zaragoza and Valladolid are, let's say, inside Spain, so they don't have a sea. So it's mostly wines and meats, so to speak. And then you have Cambrils. Cambrils is actually south from Barcelona. So it's a place where you can find, of course, as well, fish. So apart from cheese, of course, wine, you have special dishes and special tapas from these places. And you, and you can buy them. You can buy these products at our stands in, the, in Taste of Dublin because um, it will be one of the you know, biggest stands in, in Taste of Dublin. And we have to schedule several things to do. So at Taste of Dublin this week, you'll be there with your stand and people can go on and, and have a taste of all these different ingredients that you're talking about. Exactly, yeah. We have a scheduled masterclasses that they will take place in our stand on regional foods and um, wines, 
by our very own, own experts. We have also wine tasting classes and product presentations because we bring, we bring products from Spain, from these from this regions. And they will be as well organized at the VIP tent. There is a VIP tent, a test of Dublin. So we will organize that by our staff. And we have show cooking demonstrations, show cooking rooms, because we have scheduled um, seven Spanish chefs from these regions. So they will be at the NEF test kitchen during the events. So this is, this is mostly it. And a final surprise for the people is, is that every year around this time, we celebrate the World Tapas Day. This time we are celebrating that at Taste of Dublin. So actually uh, our most important event takes place on Thursday. So in two days and during the evening session, there will be this celebration of the World Tapas Day Day and will include presentation, demo on tapas, how to do them, and even buy some products to mention. All at the Neff Taste Kitchen at the at the Taste of Dublin. Tell us a bit more about the seven Spanish chefs that are going to be there this week. So well, they are from uh, this region. Some of them they have um, uh, Michelin star rating. All this done, but they are very well known. They produce different. Um, so to speak, dishes and tapas from these regions, but they innovate. It's a lot of fusion. So now it's very trendy to mix, so to speak, from different regions and all over the world. And I just want them, you know, to actually uh, shine during Taste of Dublin in the sense of really take you to a different gastronomy itinerary, being Irish, so you get to know Spain from inside out. Would it be fair to say that Spain is probably one of the most popular holiday destinations for Irish people? Well, indeed, indeed. I mean, um, for us, you know, Spain is, uh, even for the, for the Irish people, I know Spain is very important. And from, from the point of view of Spain, Ireland is very important. Ireland is very important because per capita, you are the most important market for us because half of the population of Ireland travel every year to Spain, which is 2 point something million. And it's, this is incredible for us because there is no other country in the world that loves so much Spain as the Irish do. This is something really amazing. So it's true it's not the 10 millions coming from, let's say, UK or other places. It's only 2 something million, but it's half of the population. It doesn't happen any any other place in the world. This happened here in Ireland, which is actually something amazing. And on the other way, uh, you can see that the other way around, I mean, Ireland is super special for Spanish people. It's, I think it's the third, it's our thirdest, I mean, the in, in, inbound tourists from Spain is the third market or the fourth market. There is some, so many people in Dublin and in the whole country studying, in boarding schools, university. I mean, you can feel it. Spain is all, over, all around. And we're very lucky now to have a number of lovely Spanish restaurants in Ireland. So when anybody visits Dublin, what are your top recommendations? No, 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 I cannot do that. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm the embassy, I'm the Spanish tradition board, I cannot do that. Any any Spanish restaurant in the country is excellent. That's what, that's what I can say. Any Spanish restaurant. If you want a specific recommendations, please do, do come to our office. It's in Dame Street in Dublin. Uh, we are uh, Spain.info on, on our website. We have Twitter, Spain in Ireland. And of course, we are in Instagram at, at Spain. So, you know, you can drop by anytime, but please don't make me tell you, you know, what are my favorite places because all of them are excellent. Lovely to talk to you today. Thanks so much for Likewise. telling us 
all about your participation in Taste of Dublin, which is on this Thursday until Sunday in the Ivy Gardens in Dublin. Best of luck with it and gracias. Thank you very much. Glad to be here and please do come. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. And that was Ruben Lopez Polido, Director of the Spanish Tourism Office in Dublin, telling us all about one of the many fantastic gastronomic experiences that you can enjoy at Taste of Dublin this year. And that brings us to the end of the programme tonight. Thanks for listening and to my guests, Sarah O'Sullivan, Cathy Curran, Devere and Nicola Crowley and Ruben Lopez Polido. Until next time, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!